0: Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We thank you, Lord, that you have desired, Lord, to reach man through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've desired that everyone would know your love for us, that everyone would see that you have freely given us the gift of eternal life in the sacrifice of the cross, We pray, Father God, that each person that has come here today and all those that will hear this message will come to understand that you desire a personal relationship with us, not based on what, who, what we are or what we've done, Lord, but who you are and what you have done. We pray that we might respond to your desire to have a personal relationship with each one of us, that you might personally know us, that you might personally reach out to us. And I pray, Father God, that you would reveal this truth to us, Lord we're here to get to know a personal God who wants a personal relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to receive your word, Lord. Give us understanding as we share. And we pray, Father God, that this word would not return void, Lord. That it would accomplish the purpose for which you send it out today. We give you thanks that your word is a lamp unto our feet. That your word is the bread of life. That your word, Father God, comes as a good seed planted in good soil to give forth good fruit that we might welcome your word into our lives this morning, and that we might have the end result of that which you desire to do. We pray, Father God, that you lead us in the way we should go, Lord, and that you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As events continue to culminate And we're seeing all the stuff that's taking place on the the globe with uh, the riots in Egypt and the, the issues that are taking place around the world, the instability, the uncertainty. It could be that the church as a building, as a worship team, as ushers and deacons is not sufficient for us to understand how we're to anchor in. I want to start out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 for some reason we believe that only in our time are we having such a disarray of problems only in our time do we suffer distress and anxiety and hardship but I want to tell you that when the early believers walked upon the earth they also had all sorts of tribulations and afflictions and it was in the middle of all their hardship that these letters were being written to the different churches. Here in the book of Thessalonians, this was written to a church in a city of Thessalonica. And there Paul writes this letter and he says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. This is proper, this is fitting because of your faith continues to grow and your love for everyone abounds towards each other. Verse 4. So that we ourselves boast of you amongst the other churches of God. And we boast that you're being patient and you're being faithful in the middle of all your persecutions and tribulations that you are going through. For some Christianity, and I remember as we first came to the Lord... We went across the street and we talked to our neighbors of how we had found the Lord. And they said, the Molinas could come to the Lord because they have no problems. But we're in a real world filled with real problems and it's going to be hard for us to be Christians as we're going through problems. But let me tell you something, that's where Christianity shines the most. I want to tell you, I don't know what your problem or your situation is today. First, I want to tell you that God is a personal God and he knows you personally and sees you personally and is going to answer and meet your need on a personal basis. Almost like a customized tailor that will fit you to the suit that you need. And here, Paul is writing these things and he's saying, we understand that you're going through persecutions and tribulations. You're enduring hardship you're continuing to grow in your walk with the Lord. And if you go with me to the following chapter, chapter 2, he's going to give an answer as to what we're supposed to do. And I want to tell you that the, the coming days are going to be filled with intensity of all sorts. But we're to make our strength our personal relationship with Christ. And this is something we didn't understand when we first came to the Lord Because they have introduced to us a God who sat out there in eternity on his throne. Um, My my thinking of who God was was an older man with a long white beard. And he didn't care about the affairs of men. He was busy with the universe. And that was farthest from the truth. I couldn't relate to a God um, who was so far off and so distant and so filled with his agenda that he had no time for mine. This is what I thought about God. And here, Paul continues to write in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, We abound always to give thanks to God always for you, because first of all, brethren, you are loved by God. You know, a lot of people don't know that they're loved by God. I didn't know that God personally loved me. He says, brethren, beloved of the Lord, understand that in the midst of everything you're going through, the love of God has to be the basic premise of your understanding. And and many times we don't. I remember coming to the Lord, and and they were talking to me about this God who wanted to have a relationship with me, who wanted to, to save me, who wanted to know me, and I couldn't relate. I couldn't relate to to an impersonal God. I remember that we were at the beach that summer when the Lord was trying to get into our life. And let me just tell you that God is in hot pursuit for you. Amen. And so it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing that the God of the universe would be after you. And I would ask, I would ask this question, why are you interested in me? I'm a mess. Why are you so dependent on me knowing you and following you and coming to you and and many times the attitude is leave me alone but we were at the beach that summer and and we were playing around in the water and my ring falls off my finger and it gets lost in the ocean and so I tried to find it for like half hour I'm in there under the water trying to find my graduation ring my high school ring and I said what am I gonna do my dad's going to beat me up. He just bought, purchased it for me. My dad's going to scold me. He's going to punish me because I haven't even, I just graduated a month ago. And here I'm losing the ring. And so when I, I tried to find it, I couldn't find it. The waves were pushing us. We, I said, uh, you know, once I go to shore, it's over. And I went to shore, and there was an, uh, uh, an elderly woman there, and she says, Joaquin, God loves you. I said, leave me alone. I don't want to hear about your God in the midst of my crisis. Why why, why do you want to mix religion and reality? Why do you want to mix your faith with my loss? And she says, God's going to show you today He loves you personally. And I again, I I was upset at this woman. I was like, Leave me alone. I I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know God. And she says, Let's pray. I said, prayer is useless when something real is taking place. So she in a heartbeat, she grabbed everybody's hand, she started praying. She says, God, you created the heavens and the earth. You created the fish in the sea. You created the shells. You created every grain of sand. And I'm saying, this poor lady is gone crazy. She's nuts. She kept on with her prayer to such a degree that I started getting upset. And I said, when she opens her eyes, she's making fun of me, I'm going to tell her, go to hell. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to offend her. I'm going to say, you don't play around when I have such a personal loss. I was 16 at the time, a little bit rambunctious and rebellious. But I was waiting for her to open up her eyes. I said, now she, she looks over me, and as soon as I see her little rem- smirk and her making fun of me, I'm going to say, lady... You've picked the wrong day to make fun of me. Go to hell with you, your God, and your religion. And but she opened up her eyes. She said, in Jesus' name I pray. She looked at me, and her eyes just, just were glaring. She believed in what she was doing. I said, poor thing. She really is crazy. She's not making fun of me. She believes in what she's doing. She says, go. You're going to find your ring. I just sat there looking at her, and I said, hey, Hello. Hello, this thing is an inch big. It's 100 yards in. There's ways. I don't even know if it's this way, if it's that way. You're crazy. And if you want me to believe that God is going to allow me to find my ring, then I'll just be as crazy as you, and I'm not. I still have my sanity. And she said, go, you're going to find it. And I said, I'm not going to look for this thing, because then there will be two crazy people on this beach. How we resist the personalness, the personality of God. Um, So I started going. I said, okay, I'm going, but I'm "I'm not looking for this thing. And I started walking towards the ocean. And I said, I'm not looking for it, but I don't know what happened to my older brother. He was looking for it. And we weren't Christians at the time. We, We didn't know about a personal God. And as soon as we got into the water, my brother stepped on something. He says, I hope it's not a shell. And he went down, and he grabbed what he felt for, and it was my ring. And I looked back at the ocean, and that little old lady was going, hallelujah. (laughs) And I said, I want to be like that little old lady. I want to know God like that. I want to speak to God like that. I want to have a friendship with God in those terms. So in the midst of all these scenarios, Paul is trying to tell the Thessalonians, he's saying, look, I know that your life is a mess, but there's a God who loves you. And not only does he love you, he chose you. Read with me verse 13. God, you're the beloved of the Lord because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. He loves you and he chose you. It has nothing to do with you. You don't even know why you're in church today. I'll tell you why, because he chose you for salvation. If you were to choose, you'd be somewhere else, probably. But God chose you for salvation from the beginning. How? Through sanctification by the Spirit of God. Again, a lot of the biblical words for us are very strange. And when we're not familiar with the Bible, we might think, "What, what the heck is... Salvation through sanctification, is that, that sounds like a very difficult process. And we're not familiar with the biblical terms, we need to be, we need to be familiar. Some lady was thinking that the word epistle is the wife of an apostle. Because we don't know the biblical terms. Some people think that Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers. They don't know. So what does this mean that God loves us and chose us for salvation through sanctification by His Spirit? There's a process called sanctification. It's the separating of your life by the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you start liking different things. If you have an unclean spirit, you will pursue that which is unclean. But if you have the Holy Spirit... That'll influence your life into those things that are holy. If you have a lust problem, you won't be faithful to your wife. But if you have the Spirit of God upon you, you'll be super faithful. Because the Spirit of God is a faithful spirit. It's a good spirit. So through this process of sanctification, through the Spirit of God, by believing truth, this whole thing is taking place. Verse 14, to which he called you. I I can't get over the fact that God called me. That, That has me really concerned. Because it means that God has to show up and say, Joaquin, well, how does he do that in this world? Well, the same way everything else calls you. Your career might call you. Money might call you. Prosperity might call you. Vanity might call you. God is calling you. God is calling you for his purposes. He called you by the gospel, by the good news. I see God as a personal God when Moses is out there in the middle of the desert and there's a burning bush and he begins to talk to Moses through a burning bush. Now, this morning, I'm the burning bush that God is talking through to try and get to you. The Spirit of God in me is the one that's calling you on a personal matter. And one of the weirdest things or the strangest things is how God uses many people to call you. And throughout your lifetime, God will call you. And how many times have you told God, not yet? Or not now? Or I'm not ready? So He's called us. He's a personal God who loves us, who chose us, who's sanctifying us by His Spirit. Who's called us through his gospel. What for? Listen to this. To obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when the glory of God starts coming over your life, your life starts shining forth in the work of God. And I can tell you 30 years ago when I started this walk, my life wasn't glorious. It was shameful. It was full of shameful ways and shameful thoughts and shameful friendships. But now, 30 years later, God has poured out his glory in my life. And so he says in verse 15, therefore stand fast. That's one of the things that that we need to do in difficult times, is buckle down to our personal relationship with God. This is, yeah, this is spring of life. This is a church. We worship God here. We read our Bibles. We have the Bible. We have the Spirit of God. But more than all these things, God wants a personal relationship with you. God is not concerned with the religious affairs. He wants you and him to be on a first name basis. He wants to talk with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to stand fast in a personal relationship to hold on to him. Verse 16, this is the part that blows me away. This is the part that really, really blows me away. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God and Father Who has loved us and given us everlasting comfort, good hope by grace. Come for your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Could I ask you a question? Who is doing this work in our lives? The Lord Jesus Christ and his Father God that blows me away sometimes we think that the church is something that the pastor wants to do to us or the church leaders want to do to us or or the establishment the religious what's it called the religious establishment is trying to impose their will upon us can you stop fighting God can you stop resisting the Lord Jesus Christ Because it's Jesus and the Father with the fellowship of the Spirit of God that's trying to work out a salvation in us so that we might walk in something that has been prepared that's according to His plan. Again, um, so sad that some of us have a great relationship with the church, have a great relationship with our brothers in the church. Have a great relationship with the services, even serve in the house of God, but we have no relationship with God. We don't understand it's the hand of God in our life that's doing something. As I walked into the service this morning, as the the song service was dying down, the Lord began to show me how He's called all of you. Listen to me, how God has called all of you that there might be a possibility that you fulfill his plan different degrees different aspects different callings personal all of them but all for his glory read with me again verse 16 may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father these two persons Jesus Christ, the Son, God, the Father, want to do a work in your life. Are are trying to do a work in my life. According to their love and the comfort that we have found in them. We go on to the next chapter. I want to... Remember that Paul is writing the the church in Thessalonica. He's trying to give them a glimpse of their hardships and trials are existing, but there's a God who's trying to work out his purpose in a personal way. Chapter 3, verse 1. And they're about to close out their letter here. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. God is He's saying God is using us to take this message everywhere. There's a God that's interested in us. There's his son who wants to establish us. Let's keep on reading. Verse 2. That we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. We're living in a world where not a lot of people are grabbing on to God. There's not a lot of people that want to know God. There's not a lot of people that walk with God. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. Who's faithful? Who will establish you and keep you, guard you from the adversary, the evil one, the one who opposes this work. The Lord is faithful. Verse 4. We have confidence in who? In the Lord. Concerning who? Concerning you. Both that you do and will to do the things we command you. Verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. I I see this as the hand of God over our lives. He's he's leading us. He's he's directing us. He's finding us. He's preparing us. He's forgiving us. This is what was known in the Old Testament as, as men who walked with God. Could we read in Genesis 3 verse 8? We have lost sight of what it was in the beginning. And in the beginning, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord. It was God who was walking in the cool of the day. It seems to be, and and people who have read this verse says, that God would come down and he would walk with Adam and Eve. He's like, he wanted to take a stroll with man. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to daily walk with him. The loneliness is one of the greatest factors that's affected men. And once you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, you won't be lonely one more day the rest of your life. You will not be alone, not even a second the rest of your life. But it says in 3.8 that that God used to walk with man in the the garden in the cool of the day. In other words, when God created man, He created us to knit our hearts with God and be in a personal relationship with Him. We don't understand. This it's too good for us. Genesis 5.22. There's another man here. Genesis 5.22. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Isn't that interesting? It's talking about this man named Enoch who had, the Amplified says, habitual fellowship with God. Verse 23, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Back then men used to live a long time. In verse 24, it says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him away. What does this mean? Could you put your name there where it says Enoch, and I'll say Joaquin walked with God. Verse 24, I want you to put your name where it says Enoch. John walked with God. Jose walked with God. Peter walked with God. Henry walked with God. That's that's what God intended for us, that we would walk with God. We're so foreign to this concept that we think it's ridiculous. Genesis 6 verse 5. It says, in the midst of all the wickedness of man, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and every thought and the intent of his heart was continual evil. Sounds like today. There's not a good thought in any man's heart. How am I going to cheat on my wife? How am I going to get involved in, in the immoral, in the illicit, in the illegal? That's, that's, that was the condition back then. And it says there in verse 9, this is the history of the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, And perfect in his generation, Noah walked with God. And I want to tell you that while at one time in our life we thought only special holy men walked with God, I want to tell you that the very purpose Jesus Christ came to the earth is so that you can walk with God. So that he can make this a reality in your life. And, and you'll see it all over the Old Testament, these men who walked with God. Genesis 24:40. The servant of Abraham is telling people about his master, Abraham. And he says, My master said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel. Abraham was saying, Don't worry, servant, you're gonna find my son's wife, because I walk with God. And he's going to open doors. And he's going to prosper your way. And you'll find a wife for my son. You'll, you'll be successful in what you're doing. Why? Because I walk with God. I want to tell you that I have, uh, I met a gentleman named Ravi Zacharias. He's from India. He says when he opened his eyes in his country, there was 300, listen to this, 330 million gods in India How long would it take you to meet all of them How long would it take you to know them and to follow them and to worship 330 million gods And you know why he uh, Ravi came to Jesus Christ because he says it was the only god who loved me it was the only God who was seeking for me. It was the only God who healed me and forgave me. It's the only God who gave his life for me. That's how powerful it is. I, when I read this verse when I was a young Christian, I really was blown away by 2 Chronicles 16.9. And it, it, there it shows the character of a personal God. For the eyes of the Lord run throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You imagine God, the earth is, I don't know if you've ever got on, on, on Google, Google Quest or whatever it's called. You get to see the hole and you get, to, you get to beam down and you go and zoom and zoom and zoom and you find a city. That's the eyes of God seeking you and and you think it's weird you think this can't be there's really too many people let me tell you something God is such a personal God he will zoom in on you and count the very hairs on your head the Bible says he keeps your tears in a in a bottle he knows your tears the psalm says, He hears your sigh. Do you know what a sigh is? God is like, Wait, what's going on? What's going on here? So, the personalness of God is amazing to such a degree that His eyes are looking all over the earth, showing Himself strong on behalf of you. It led people like King David in Psalm 8, verse 4, to say, Lord, can we talk a second? Why do you care about man? What is man that you're so concerned about him? I was telling you guys a couple of weeks ago, there was a young girl who gave us a phone call. It was a Thursday night. She had called her mom because, uh, or somebody in the family called her mom because she had attempted to commit suicide. And her mom called me and brought her to church that night. She was about 30 years old, 34 years old. And she had been homeless for at least two years. So she had a stench on her. She hadn't taken showers in months. Her hair was knotted. She smelled like cigarettes. She was doing drugs. She was dirty, 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 dirty. And so she showed up at church that night. And we said, God loves you and she's like it doesn't register I go well let me put it in this term who else do you think cares about what's going on in your life right now who else is reaching their hand out to you during your time of distress guess what the answer to that is nobody so we asked her if she wanted to receive the Lord if she wanted to come closer to God and and she had nowhere else to go and we weren't about to there was, there was an option there to take her to a local hotel, but that would be so impersonal. They'd just drop her off at a hotel and pick you up in the morning. I said, no, we can't do that. That's not who we represent. We represent a personal God. And so we, we, we said, you're coming to our house tonight. You could take a shower in our bathroom. And you could stay in our house, and we'll just take it day by day. I said to my wife, honey, hide all the knives. So we don't know what's going to happen. But I, 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 through us in that time, but, but through so many situations, we see the personalness of God. We see that God is not a religious institution. He's not a, an ecclesiastical order. He's a personal God. And a lot of us don't have that relationship. A lot of us have an impersonal relationship. But David was able to see how much man cared for, God cared for man. And he says, what is man that you care about him? What is the sons of men that you would visit homes? And when the Lord visited our home about 30 years ago, my parents were getting divorced. They were separated. There was no hope. There was no rescue. And God says, call upon my name. And God saved our family, and He saved my parents' marriage and saved our, uh, saved our lives in so many personal ways. And we started meeting a personal God that was personal to our very issues. In John chapter five verse 39, this was one of the things that God, and Jesus was trying to get to the religious people of his day. He says, "You guys are real religious, but you don't hang out with me. You have a Bible, you go to church. You're part of the religious rhetoric of the day. You search the Bible for in this this book that you guys read. You think you're going to find the answer to life. But these are they which testify of me. Verse 40. You are not willing to come to me. Why is it that we're so... Unable to click with God and fulfill his calling. We're experts. Um, uh, Men have become theologians. They've become all manner of of professors. They've They've gotten their degrees in divinity and theology, their masters in divinity. But they don't hang out with God. They don't walk with God. They don't represent God. God is not concerned with you knowing all the Bible. You might have thought, once I memorize the Bible, then I'm good with God. The answer is no. You know who knows the whole Bible? The devil. And he's not in relationship with God. He's not in good relationship with God. So God doesn't want you to come to church just for the sake of coming. God doesn't want you to read the Bible just because you're going to exercise your spiritual intellect. No. All these things are there so that we might take a step closer and a step closer and a step closer to walking with God, to knowing God, to hanging out with God, to know that, that each day is a new day. Uh, the closest thing that we can see to this is our marriage relationship. Just like my, Yvette and I have been married now for 17 years, and there's not a day that's the same There's not a day where I said, you know something, I already know you. Let me go find someone else. Let me go meet someone else. No, it's a vibrant relationship. And then you see in John 14, Jesus says these words. I tell you the truth. John 14, verse 1. Don't be troubled in your hearts. If you've already understand God, also understand me. If you're walking in my direction, verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. I'm like, Lord, you're just too much. You're too much. This is talking about the provision of God, not only here, but in eternity. And a lot of us are full of anxiety and worry. He says, you're only to worry if you think that I'm not faithful to provide. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. A God who wants to hear our prayer, who wants to heal our illnesses. I want to tell you that when God came into our family's life, he began to heal our sickness. He began to heal our infirmities. He began, when, whenever there is a, a uh, health crisis in our home, Jesus came and healed us supernaturally. I want to rejoice in the fact that God is prepared. To walk with you on a personal basis 2nd Corinthians 1 verse 3 it says blessed be God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ he's the God of all comfort he has mercy he's the one that comes to console us in all our tribulations I don't care what you go through in this life when you go through it with God you are taken care of that we might be able to comfort those who are in trouble so we have answers not only for ourselves, but we're able to extend this reality to someone else. And I've, I've often made the mistake of a person coming up to me and saying, Look, I have this situation, I have this problem, and looking to them, looking to them in their face and saying, There's nothing to do here. And then catch myself and say, Wait, 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 wait. I know someone who makes a way where there is no way. I know someone who does the impossible. I know someone who's listening to our very conversation right now. It was years ago that a man came up to me. I was in the practice of law and I could, I could address legal problems, but this one man had come and he says, I sold a car 10 years ago. And the lady sold it to another man and he left in New York and there's a car accident, but they never transferred the title. This was 10 years ago. And so this this car accident is a lien on my name because I'm still on title for $15,000. I said, brother, even if you were to hire me as your lawyer, it would cost $15,000 to resolve your issue, to try and find the answer. But I know someone who can fix it. And he's like, this man's crazy. I said, no, let's pray. And so I've learned to confide on a personal God who's invited us to pray who's invited us to trust him. And so I said, Lord, look at this situation. You know where that person is who this car was sold to, who sold it to someone else, who got in a car accident and all it's coming down upon this man. And I'm sure that man was looking at me like I was looking at that old lady. This lawyer's gone nutty. Before the end of the week, that man in New York called the owner of the vehicle. And he said, "Sure, I'll sign an affidavit saying that I purchased the car from you and from that lady you sold it to 10 years ago. I'll assume the responsibility." That that was crazy. And years ago, there was a young man, he, his father had given him a a boat, it was, he's fi- 15 years old. His father says, you got good grades, I'm going to give you a little boat. It's going to have a little motor. You're going to be able to use it in the, in the lake, in our backyard. It was his grandmother's backyard. And so Saturday morning, we got a phone call at our house. And it was his grandmother saying, my grandson had an accident on the lake. And his boat sank. And he's here sobbing. Because his father had just given him the boat. And so my wife says, look, my husband doesn't own a tow truck company, so he can't help you. There's nothing to do. And when I asked my wife, what happened? She said, no, somebody sank their boat in the lake, and, and there's nothing to do. So I just, I just told him, there's nothing to do. And so I said, I'm just going to go over there. And she says, what for? I said, because the Bible says to go cry with those who cry. Go rejoice with those who rejoice. So, when I got to the grandmother's house, I put on my clothes, I went over there, and this young man was, was uncontrollably sobbing about the loss. And it wasn't that the boat sank, it was his engine just jumped off. He didn't, he didn't tighten it enough, and his engine jumped off and sank to the bottom of the lake. And we, we don't know where in that lake that motor would sink. But I remember my ring. I didn't know where my ring was. And I said, Let's pray. And he looked at me like saying, Pastor, you're crazy. I said, let's pray. God knows where your motor is. And so we bowed our heads, and I said, Lord, show this young man that you're a personal God, that you care about his situation, that you want to go to the furthest extent that he might know that you personally care for him. And so he was looking at me. I'm sure he was going to curse me out when I opened my eyes also. And when I prayed in Jesus' name, I said, let's go look for your motor. So we, we got on his boat and we started paddling into the lake. Lord, you're going to lead us to the right place. And we were, we were at a distance of about 100 yards from his grandmother's house. And the Lord showed us, uh, you know, there was, there was evidence of the very spot where he had had that situation. So I dove into the lake. I went all the way to the bottom. And it says the murky canals here in Miami are disgusting. And I went down once, I didn't find it. I went down twice, I didn't find it. I was getting tired because all my clothes was weighing down. So I said, Lord, this is the last time I'm going down. And I go down and I see the glimmering light of his engine. And I tied it up real quick. And we pulled up that engine out of the depth of that lake. And that young man will never forget how personal God is. A lot of times we don't see the personality of God because we're not trusting in Him. But when you begin to know God personally, it doesn't matter what you're going through, you can tell He's there looking at it. And you know who had this type of relationship? And it was the man who had the heart closest to, to God's heart. In 2 Samuel 16 verse 7, 2 Samuel 16, verse 7, when you know a personal God, when you walk with a personal God, nothing is outside of the scope of his seeing what's going on in your life. And he says, and Shimei said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. This was a man that was, was hurling insults on David's life. The Lord has brought you out, brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hands of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. Verse 9, Then Abishai, this is one of David's right-hand men, the son of Saru, Saru, uh, Saru said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over there and chop his head off. That was his secret serviceman. He says, David, why is this guy cursing you? Let me go and chop off his head. And so, in the midst of that struggle and hardship, the king says, What have I to do with you? And he tells his secret serviceman, Calm down. Let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, What have you done so? If this hardship is taking place in my life, it's because God is allowing it. Is, is, that, is that the way we think sometimes? No. Man, we're always pointing fingers to everybody else. Oh, I'm going to go kill this man because he's talking and I'm going I'm to shoot her and I, she's going to see what I... Look, when you know what God is doing, everything that's going on is because he is allowing it. But you need to walk personally with God to know that. Verse 11... And David said to the man who is throwing these rocks and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. The hardship going on in my life is not the devil. I used to have a friend of mine who had a more personal relationship with the devil than he did with God. Because every time something bad happens, he says, The devil knows what he's doing. The devil knows what he's doing. The devil, I said, would you stop it already? Only God knows what he's doing. God is in control. If, if God didn't allow it, the devil couldn't do anything. But that requires you to know how personal God is. Let's stand this morning. I know that we teach the Bible here. I know we sing songs to the Lord. I know we worship. I know we, we write books I know we, we, we teach Bible study, but if you don't have a personal relationship with God, all of this is useless. All of this is no good. And God, yeah, God has a relationship with me, but he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know that he's in charge of what's going on in your life. He wants, he wants you to know that the Father and him are vested in this salvation. They're working it out. This is one of the things I told God when I first started becoming a Christian. If you don't do this in my life, it's not going to happen. If you don't transform me, I have no hope to be transformed. If you don't don't take care of me, I don't know how to take care of myself. If you don't build my life, my home, my family, it's not going to be built. Psalm 127, verse 1. It says... If God doesn't build the house, unless the Lord builds the house, those who are trying to build it, do it in vain. I don't care what you're trying to do when you're trying to guard the city, unless the Lord guards the city, security systems and guards and policemen are useless. So, I gather what the Lord is trying to tell His people this morning is He wants you to understand the the bottom line which is his personal nature in times of distress is what's going to hold your life your personal relationship with him understanding the good the bad and the ugly is all part of God's plan to fulfill his purpose let's bow our heads this morning and it's now our turn to tell God Lord we want to be personal with you too We want to have that friendship with you like Abraham had, like Moses had, like Noah had. We want to walk with you day by day knowing that you're doing something personal in our lives through our work, through our relationships, even in our finances, the administration of our stewardship. All these things. He gives that example. He says, look... How the birds do not even sow or reap, and their heavenly Father takes care of them. How much more valuable are you? If he takes care of all his creation, won't the Lord also take care of you? Much more. Much more. As we sing this song, you bow your head and say, Lord, I want to know you.